welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and today we're going to be talking about the importance of early intervention. And if you ever come across a question, you're a parent and you're saying, hey, my kid does this or my kid doesn't do this yet, should I be worried? You know, parents have those questions about pretty much every topic in the development of their child. And it's an important thing to listen to that question and that intuition. So today we're going to be speaking with a speech language pathologist who really focuses on this exact piece of education to say, when you have a question, should you seek help? Yes. <laughs> Let's hear more from Janae Dunlop. Janae, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So you're a speech language pathologist in Canada. Mm-hmm. And who is your population? Who do you work with? I work with uh, children ages 2 to 12 and their families. Uh, I just started a private practice, actually, and uh, I am passionate about teaching parents and educating so that, you know, if they're wondering about their children's milestones, getting them services as soon as, you know, they might need them and working with families to individualize those services so that it works for the family, for the parents, teaching them strategies. Awesome. What was your interest? How did you, you know, did you always want to be an SLP? Was this something that happened in grad school? So I actually have a a personal story. Um, When I was really young, I struggled myself with severe speech and language delays, so much so that I could not be understood at all, even by family. And it created a lot of frustration, to say the least. I had full-out temper tantrums. Didn't matter if we were at home or in public. (laughs) One day, you know, we were at Zellers, the department store, and I'm screaming out, I want paintings, I want paintings. And my mom's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And my brother translated, Mom, she wants the pink shoes. And <laughs> luckily, I, I didn't always have that much trouble communicating because it was very frustrating for everybody. I was so fortunate that my mom and dad put me um, in speech therapy at the young age of two and a half years old. And My mom was also very, very instrumental in helping me at home, which was amazing. So I'm Mm -hmm. also a strong believer in parent implemented intervention. So I think I just, I feel like I have this unique empathy and compassion for the children and the families I work with because I have that personal experience of how frustrating it is not to communicate. Yeah. So you remember being two and a half years old? I I actually don't. These are, this, this story is filled in bits and pieces by, you know, what my parents have told me and what I I remember little pieces of it for sure. I don't remember all of it. It's actually interesting how language does impact memory. So there are a lot of gaps, I feel like, where I don't remember things that maybe other people would remember. Well, memory in itself is a whole complicated can of worms of how we, what we remember, what gets stored, how memories can be false memories. Anyway, that's so interesting that, you know, you had the experience of being in speech therapy and that you had a a good experience that you remember it fondly and like it helped you. So how long were you in speech therapy for? Do you remember? 
Well, I remember in kindergarten, actually, I started not wanting it anymore because I felt very self-conscious that I was being pulled out at that time. You know, it wasn't going into the classroom. It was like the speech therapist would knock on the door and say, I'm here to grab so-and-so. And so I started getting really kind of feeling self-conscious about that and telling my mom, I don't want to go to speech. I don't want to. But what was cool is I actually started speech and drama lessons because my brother was taking them. And so that gave me another avenue, actually to work on speech and kind of build on what I had already been doing with the SLP. Mm, That's very interesting because we talk a lot about, you know, children who have hearing loss and incorporating dance class or rhythm and learning an instrument, like different modalities of getting to that without it being officially auditory verbal therapy or auditory rehabilitation. So that's great. You were doing like drama and speech and it's Mm -hmm. informal. Everyone's doing the same thing. You're not being pulled out. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me more about like what, what happened like when you were in school age, when you were in high school, like, did you just finish with it basically or... (laughs) Well, um, so as I mean, I do believe, um, and it it was the case for me too, where early intervention does set you up for success later on. So I really, I mean, I did actually have struggles with reading comprehension in school, which is interestingly, it is linked often um, to like statistically, it is linked to kids who have those speech delays. So I did find that, but I had a lot of support throughout school and I did you know, I think with that like family support too, I ended up um, graduating ultimately with a master's degree. So it's um, one of those kind of uh, rags to riches story, I guess, um, <laughs> which is kind of cool because it can give people hope that no matter how much your child is struggling um, when they're little, if they do have that early intervention and they have continued support, even if it's literacy as they go throughout school, that they really can achieve success still. So I try to impart that hope to the people that I work with that, you know, it doesn't matter how bad things can, it can be a big grieving process for parents really when their kids are young and wondering what is going to happen. Yeah. Everybody wants the crystal ball to just know that everything will work out for their kid, Yeah, but that's not how life works. (laughs) But, but you can kind of do a lot of things when they're young and get them the help that they need to and help set them up. Like you said, that's so nice. I think it's kind of this double-edged sword that on one part we're saying, hey, zero to three is super critical. We must get in during that time. But also there is room for intervention and catch up and support. Otherwise we wouldn't have all of the things that we do, all the services from audiology to speech and all the other um, therapeutic interventions. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can share a little bit about some of those common, the most common questions, common myths that parents of young children have. And I'd say even more so during the year 2020, which is like interrupted yeah. schooling and interrupted services so that there isn't like, you know, the teacher who says, hey, I noticed something during class or like anything that's consistent. It's like you're home, but you're not, but you're in, but you're out. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot, you know, you're not going to go to every appointment unless it's crucial. So there's just less eyes on, on your kids these days. And you're absolutely, I think it's an important element of this lovely year. Yeah. um, I think there are a lot of, you know, sometimes concerns that parents have 
that um, sometimes, unfortunately, though, are um, kind of, I find in my experience with parents, I hear, you know, oh, so, you know, another friend of mine said, oh, don't worry, or, you know, even a professional is saying, oh, don't worry, your child will catch up, or, you know, it's not a big deal. But when I do an evaluation, I actually find, oh, maybe there actually is something here we could be working with. So I think a big piece in this is um, for parents to kind of, you know, if they look into or if they have a concern, not to just say, oh, you know, it's okay, they'll catch up, but to actually look further into it in case there is something more um, going on. I think um, an example of this that I have, it's and just goes to show like the power of the parent being the advocate. I had a parent recently who got in touch with me and she, her daughter had been in speech since she was really little. She was working on her S's for years and for years and she's still to this day lisping and she's been discharged two different times from speech. And it's like, why is she still lisping? I don't understand what's going on. Well, after evaluating her, I realized that she had a myofunctional disorder. So what that means is that, you know, the muscles of her tongue and her jaw, like there is something more going on than just an articulation disorder. And so I was able to appropriately refer and say, oh, she, all the articulation therapy in the world isn't going to help your daughter. The reason she is still has this speech pattern is because there's something else is going on. So it was just so eye-opening for me that this parent, she didn't take no for an answer. She had another SLP discharge her daughter saying, oh, you're good to go. And this parent is saying, no, I feel something more is going on. So I'm going to follow up with this and now they are getting what they need. So I would say, yeah, and it is a unique time. Our kids are at home or at school or a bit of both or whatever they are. But I think to keep investigating when you do have a gut feeling as a parent mm -hmm. um, is, is a really important thing. Yeah. This expression, wait and see, um, yeah. you need to put a time limit on that waiting say like, okay, let's see how this goes for three months but not for the next two years, you know, if you're yeah. going to do wait and see, then you need to like, I don't know, put a reminder calendar in your calendar. That's going to alarm you and say, Hey, remember we were worried about that. Has anything changed? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And to trust yourself as a parent, like, no, you're not the professional, but you as a parent have a really strong sense of what you've had other children and you've seen other children and you have life experience. So to trust that gut feeling. I know that's the funny thing. It's like, we don't want to compare children as like a emotional thing. You know, everyone is different and unique. Everyone's on their own path. And we do have normal bell curve of like, some kids are a little quicker. Some kids take their time, but yeah. then you have those extremes at the ends of the bell curve that yeah. might need that bit of support. And also like you mentioned that sometimes it's not a delay of like, they'll get there when they get there but it's actually a disorder or something that needs the intervention. And, and knowing the difference is kind of why we all went to many years of school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and parents, I think you and I really respect the, the gut and the intuition. You know your kid more than anyone else knows your kid. Absolutely. You, know, you spend the most time with them and you also, you know, generally have a lot in common with them. So yeah. you can kind of pick up on the things that other people might not realize but other times it does kind of come from someone outside because also the the flip side of that is that you know them so well you might not notice things that someone from the outside might notice absolutely well, we work yes. together that's the cool thing 
Yes. I think that's the beauty of, you know, even during these unique times in our world there, you know, there's other professionals or there's teachers or assistants or what have you. And so to take in, you know, into account that whole kind of collaborative approach is still really important as much as possible. Yeah. So important. So what are the other specifically for speech with some other common um, Yeah, I would say one of the really common ones that I hear parents say is, oh, my little, you know, say like two year olds, they're not really talking very much yet. But, you know, that's just because their older sibling, they do all the talking for them. So that's why they're not talking. And my response to that is, well, why are they doing all the talking for them? There's there could be something more going on that it's not just that simple. Um, It's it's you know, it's possible if the child kids, kids by nature are really, really motivated to communicate. I mean, communication is such a foundational skill if you think about getting what you want and what you need in a day. (laughs) And so if a child is not really doing much of that, there could be something more. And so I just encourage parents not to just put it to, oh, the older sibling is just taking over. (laughs) That, I mean, even my own personal experience, my brother did do a lot of translating for me, but that is because I did actually have a speech sound disorder. And so um, he was helping me, but it's because I really couldn't communicate. Yeah. Yeah. And then that ties in to the parent coaching of how to help the parent. Like, for example, I just saw this post about Um, every single time that you turn on or off a light, say on and off. And if the light is off, don't do anything. Like just wait, they have to ask you or, you know, to kind of make those situations where you're going to try to get them to say what they want or, you know, hold that candy until they say candy. (laughs) Absolutely. There's a, yes. But, you know, there's definitely still a balance there because you don't want to get it to the frustration That's one of the big things I'm passionate about working on is those strategies like the waiting strategy. You know, you make a comment and you wait, even if you have to count to 10 in your head, because it's so hard to wait sometimes, but it's amazing the power of waiting for your child to say something or to even gesture something rather than just jumping in with another question. As parents and as teachers, we can sometimes ask so many questions in even just a minute and it just overwhelms the child. So kind of slowing down and waiting, commenting and waiting. And like you say, modeling those words of just very simple language on off and then waiting is really powerful. Yeah. I also know that so much of the modeling, it's really kind of a mindset shift from asking children questions that they need to answer instead of just like constantly being a fountain of speech, (laughs) just narrating from an auditory perspective. We want so much auditory input to go in, especially children with hearing loss. We want them to be getting as much input, statistical information, you know, 30 million words, let's go. So, (laughs) so, you know, you, the old, the old story about the, the difference between two different parents in the grocery store. One parent has the kid in the, in the stroller and they're just like doing their shopping. So the kid's looking around and getting all the input that they maybe are getting visually and different things, but there isn't a lot of interaction. And another parent might be like, here's the milk. Let's get the milk. Milk comes from a cow. Let's put the milk in our cart. And already that was another 25 words. Just <laughs> every item gets, gets, I mean, maybe your milk comes from almonds, but <laughs> my point. <laughs> yeah. and then that's another a whole nother conversation so yeah. 
just to doing, doing a lot of talking, but sometimes that's against the parent's nature. So what would you say to someone who's like, I don't want to do that. That's not how I talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, some parents and, and the reality is life is busy and yeah, it's not their nature. So um, I would just, you know, say, let's make can we make this goal more achievable by even thinking of one specific time during the day that it feels a little bit more doable? So like maybe in the grocery store is kind of chaotic, especially during COVID, grocery shopping is not so fun. Um, what if we could choose maybe a bedtime routine where, you know, when we're brushing teeth or reading a storybook together, could that be a time that we do it? So I would just try and really meet them where they're at to really, um, yeah, make that feel more doable for them. And also there are different strategies too um, that might be more conducive to certain, you know, parents' styles of communication. So um, I think the strategy of, um, like you kind of, I think mentioned this before, but we call it um, a communication temptation where you're kind of, you know, offering say something very motivating, a, a toy or a, some, or a food that the child loves and you're offering it bit by bit and you're waiting for that child to show or to ask that they want more. Um, maybe that's something that the parent feels more comfortable with because they do still interact with their child. I mean, they're on a day-to-day -day basis, they will be giving their child food or toys or what have you. So that involves less talking per se, but it's still a very effective strategy. Awesome. And I think there's so much value in getting help, getting guidance, getting support from someone who has that training or has that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard for parents because it's almost like you can talk to anyone or, or you can read blogs from every SLP in the world <laughs> with yes. different approaches and different strategies. And it's like, well, which one is right for me? There's a lot of power in that. And also the other thing I wanted to mention was that sometimes whatever country you live in might have a system where children are eligible for services that are either very low cost or free, depending on the, you know, if they qualify. And yeah. it's really important to know that just because someone doesn't qualify, as in it's not bad enough to get the services from your government, doesn't mean they can't still get help. Absolutely. I yeah. I think that's something I love about being going private now is that it doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about what is, um, you know, what does this child technically qualify for? If the parent wants support, I want to give them that support and make that ex as accessible as possible. Right. Yeah. Although then you come into the questions of access because it's private, but but I still, you know, would recommend that people even look into it because even just doing the assessment outside of is the motivation for the assessment is the you know will we give you free services or not but if you get an assessment from someone who's outside that system well some could argue that then the motivation might be do i want you as my client or not but you know hopefully there's ethics involved all around what yes. should i say <laughs> yes i actually i'm i'm offering free um assessments through september and the purpose for that is i want to give you know this is back to school time and i want to give parents that opportunity to see where their child's at like maybe they'll be totally within average range and they'll be just really reassured or maybe their child will come up with a delay and they are not at all um you know they do not have to come to me for therapy just because i did that assessment so i want to kind of just give them that 
like the power is in the information and say, this is where your child came out and you can decide what you're going to do with that. Wow. That's amazing. Unfortunately, I don't know if this is going to go live before the end of September. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. (laughs) That's very kind. And I think if anything, people should take with that to say, like, reach out to the local speech therapist and wherever you are and say, this is what's going on. You know, they'll answer your email. They'll answer your call. People in this profession are generally helpers and service givers. So... (laughs) Absolutely. Take that to know that, you know, there's really awesome people doing great things. And are there, were there any others? Did you have, did you have a little list? Um, I mean, there, I think this is a good opportunity to make just because it does come up quite often, regardless of where you live is um, bilingualism. So children who are um, exposed to more than one language in the home, um, whether that be right from birth, um, or, you know, sequentially one language after the other, either way, you get a lot of parents saying, oh, is this, is my child delay A, because they are bilingual, um, or is bilingualism causing the delay, should we say, um, to that? Um, absolutely not. Research shows over and over again, these things are not linked. Um, in fact, you know, exposure to two or more languages is really, really positive for the developing brain. Um, that being said, there are sometimes children who have language, you know, diagnosed language delays who are exposed to more than one language. However, that's, there is, that is because, you know, they would have had a language delay regardless of being exposed to those two languages. So the other question parents ask is, okay, so now my child, you know, we do speak two languages in the home. They do have a language delay. Should we only be speaking English to them instead of the other language? Um, And to that, I say, no, I say, keep exposing them to both languages. Um, They will in time with the right intervention, they probably will catch up having that input of both languages is even from a cultural perspective is really, really important. We don't want to deprive them of that other language. So I just, I feel very strongly about talking about that piece because it comes up quite often and is a misconception. With language, more is more. Yes. What about the one parent, one language idea? Yeah, so that's another kind of belief that, oh, you know, is it going to be simpler for the child if, say, one parent speaks, um, well, I'm in Canada, so let's use the example, one parent will always speak French and one parent will always speak English. That, again, that's kind of a myth that that will help your child, per se, learn those languages. You don't need to be consistent between one parent only speaking one language. Language development is well, research shows it is more fluid. So, you know, both parents switching back and forth between both languages should not be a problem. And in fact, um, research also shows how it can be really helpful for a child, particularly a child with a language delay, if a parent speaks in very simple, kind of like what we we're saying before with the on-off, when you model language in a simple way. So if a parent, for example, models on-off in English very simply with few words, and then they immediately translate and model that same on-off in French, and they strategically are modeling both of those things kind of back to back, that is actually a strategy to use with bilingual parents to help those children start to learn, oh, so this is, you know, this is on in this language and this is on in that language and it will actually help that child. On Instagram, one of my favorite super awesome people and accounts is Claudia 
who is a bilingual SLP and uh, her account is Lalio. So it's like a lot of Spanish and English and just bilingualism. I get a lot of information and ideas from her account. She talks about how sometimes you do an assessment on a child who speaks who is exposed to two languages, and you might actually underestimate their language competency because the tester only knows the one language, but maybe they're making these different sounds that actually <laughs> are words or can be counted as words, but the tester doesn't know that language. So that's also a good idea to find a bilingual SLP if you can for the languages that you're exposed to. And the second thing on this topic is uh, what we talk about a lot is the bilingual, bimodal, bicultural deaf children who are also exposed to auditory input in whatever spoken language is there in their in their country in their home and also sign language this is not an either or proposition there really can be an exposure to both signed and spoken languages in the same way that you could have exposure to two spoken languages that would not be to the detriment of the development of either of those languages in fact it would probably be better Yes. And uh, we talked about this and just linking people to other episodes because I know um, sometimes, you know, you can't listen to everything, but hey, maybe of interest <laughs> to you if you care about this topic. Yes. Um, Madeline Cheney, who was on the podcast a while back, um, shared about her son, Kimball, and how by introducing the sign, something clicked for him. It was like, oh, if I make this sign, then that means something. And then actually from there, he actually started to speak. So then they had this combination approach and yeah, you could hear more about that story in her episode, but Janae, yeah. this is so helpful to know, you know, to just hit some of these big misconceptions with speech where maybe some people just think, oh, speech therapists only work with stutters and that's the whole thing. And mm -hmm. that is not the case. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you bring up that combination perspective. Um, I'm actually currently working with a little two-year-old and he's, um, his verbal um, language is very limited right now. And so we are actually um, using uh, pictures as one of our modalities, which has been very powerful for him. Um, so if, for example, even the picture of more, and then we can also use the sign more, which is very exciting. So that actually gives him, he can even choose depending on the situation. Is he going to refer to a picture? Is he going to sign that word? But it just is so empowering for him when he can't yet say that word more that's yes very um definitely i'm a strong believer i see the positive effects in um combining those and and that's kind of another you know a myth that parents will sometimes bring up or a misconception where oh if we introduce sign or we introduce pictures is that going to stunt my child's verbal <laughs> development that is absolutely not the case in fact it facilitates the verbal development amazing yeah definitely so true <laughs> that's what happens when we have these podcasts it's kind of like yep i agree i agree excellent yes. <laughs> and then an echo chamber of people who agree with each other. Yeah, these are really important topics to me. And I'm really glad that you came on the show to share them with us. Janae, if people want to find you or follow you, where can they do that? Yeah, so uh, my website is www.communicationstation.ca. And um, I'm also on Instagram, communication underscore station underscore speech. Um, my Facebook <laughs> is kind of long, but maybe just link it in the show notes because the link Absolutely. is long. So yeah. thank you so much. We will do that. 
Thank you, Janae. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your expertise and some busting some of those myths about speech language pathology. Another episode of interest for our listeners would be the all about speech therapy episode from way back in season one with Mary Louise Nichols. And on that show, we talked a lot about medical SLPs and how speech language pathology is actually much wider of a field. So for any communication disorder students or anyone interested in speech, this that's a great episode. Go check it out. And thank you so much to all the listeners of the All About Audiology podcast. I'm Dr. Lila Saperstein.